Well, it is the end of summer as we know it. It's unbelievable. Kids are getting back to school. They're already back in school, and it's sad to kind of kiss summer goodbye, I know, but uh, this, I hope you had a good summer, and I know I had a good summer with my family, and in the early, of, the beginning of the summer, Jen and I had the chance to go to L.A., California, for the very first time. I've never been uh, she had never been. We had the privilege and honor to speak at the JCPN conference. What's that? It's the Japanese Church Planting Network. Uh, I went with Maki and Sunny uh, and Reika uh, as they get ready to plant Hikari. And so we got to speak there. That was a lot of fun. But then we thought, you know, let's extend it a couple days. And so we did. And I have a great friend and mentor down there uh, that put us up and showed us around because he's from there. And I mean, we were hitting, you know, Huntington Beach and Newport and Laguna, Dana Point, St. Clement. I mean, it was just, just going right down the West Coast. And, and then uh, my buddy Mike and his boys were really excited to teach me how to surf, like surf's up, you know what I mean? So here's a picture of us. Here's me right here. Um, you'll notice uh, my six-pack. I've been really working out. Uh, so you know, sorry, yeah, no, this is me. Notice the surfboard is in front of my stomach. That's a pro move, guys. Just put the surfboard right in front of your stomach. And so we're going out, and uh, they're going to teach us how to surf. And so, listen, I've been in Lake Michigan waves. I've been on, you know, the East Coast waves, like Myrtle Beach and the Gulf and, you know, Florida stuff. I've never experienced waves like this. So I get out there, and so here's, here's just a picture. I was really, here's me right here. You can kind of see me right there. I was really starting to feel it right there. And uh, yeah, just kidding. I wished that was me. No, no, no. I was literally, it was like glorified boogie boarding, getting the crap beaten out of me by these waves, these monster waves just hitting me left and right. I was like a rag doll out there. And then all of a sudden, as I'm out there trying to stay alive, this lifeguard comes out of nowhere and he looks at me and, and he's like yelling at me and I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he's like, I'm here to save you. And I'm thinking, the first thing I'm thinking when he's saying I'm here to save you, all I could think about was this. I'm thinking Jaws. I'm thinking the shark. And I yell at him. I'm like, is there a shark? And he says, no, you're caught in a riptide. And I'm thinking, well, what the heck? I'm riptide. What does that mean? I'm like, you know, like, you know, it drifts you out into the sea, and you get caught and way go way far out. So he's here to save me from the riptide. But I look over here, and I look over here, and I see other people swimming and surfing. And I ask him, I'm like, well, what about those people? And what about those people? And he says, they know what they're doing. You obviously don't. So I was like, oh, okay, fair, fair game. I, I, I totally get it. So I look at him, and I yell, and I say, so is this really happening? A California lifeguard is actually saving me? I'm getting saved by a lifeguard? He says, yes. And so he pulls me, he grabs his buoy, and he starts pulling me in and takes me to shore. And here's the picture of, of Julio. His name was Julio. Put him up here. It's Julio. There he is. There's Julio and I, the guy who saved my life, Julio. I mean, I, the guy who saved my life, I was drifting out into the far sea, I needed rescuing, I needed saving, and guess what? I didn't even know I was in trouble. And that, my friends, is what brings us to 1 Timothy chapter 4 as we continue in our Blueprint series because we're going to be talking about the idea of how easy it is for us to start drifting out into the sea of false teaching and not even realize it. 
and not even know it. That's how easy it can happen where we can be drifted off by false teachings and not even know that we need saving and rescuing from it. One of the main themes that we've had throughout this whole series has been this theme right here, is this idea that God's order, God's ways, God's order will seem to be out of order in the world's eyes. It'll seem foreign. God's ways will seem foreign. It'll seem so dramatically different. It'll be almost shocking in a sense. And sometimes those differences can be dramatically different. But other times, the way that the enemy works is that it can be these subtle little differences that's just a little tweak that can then shift us off and drift us off into a direction. And so maybe today, if you're honest, you'd be honest with yourself and you'd be like, you know what? I am kind of drifting. I've been drifting. And, you know, I don't know what is true. I don't know what to believe. Or maybe you know someone that you, it's like heavy on your heart because you see them drifting. Our hope today is that you will be encouraged by this message to kind of shake us up and to be rescued from the drift that can so easily happen in our lives. But before we do, I just want to pray for you and then pray for me. And so, Father, thank you so much for uh, this day. Help us to hear from your word today. Uh, get me out of the way. And I just ask that um, it just wherever we're at, that you'll just speak to us with all this different content that it'll hit us right where we need to. And I pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, if you have a copy of the scriptures, I want you to open it up to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're at, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, just remember, this is a real letter that was written by a real person named Paul who wrote it to a real person named Timothy, which was his mentee, that was then going to declare this message to a real church called Ephesus. And this is the real inspired word of God. This isn't just some random letter that we're reading. It was used to help instruct, equip, and encourage the early young church. And those same instructions and encouragements apply to us in our church today. So let's jump into the text as we dive in here. First Timothy chapter four, verse one, it says this. Now the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now, one of the interesting things is that earlier in Paul's writings in the book of Acts, he addressed how false teachers would go into the church, that would kind of move into the church. And so here we see uh, what he was saying actually taking place now. It was actually coming into fruition. And so just as it was happening so soon in the early church, we shouldn't be shocked that it is still happening today in the church. And it says that some people will depart, that they will be led astray. The enemy will seduce them in these major ways, or like I said earlier, in these subtle ways. And people will only want to hear what they want to hear based on how they feel about an issue instead of how or what God says about an issue. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, here's what he said. He said this. He said, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They'll be like, forget it. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions of what they want it to say or how they want it to be interpreted. People will turn away willfully. And I'll be honest with you, this is one of the hardest things about my job. It's time and time again where I leave a meeting in my office and people walk out the door and I sit there and I weep. And, I, and, I, and, I, and it gets me every time. 
as people are wanting me to bend the truth for them, like I have the power to do that or something, and I watch families or children or teenagers or parents leaning into their teenagers, leading themselves away from the truth and falling into false teachings. And in those moments, I, you know, with grace and with truth and love, share with them God's truth, and then they leave frustrated and angry and disappointed, and they walk out, and I'll never see them again. And every single time, it shocks me, and it shakes me to the core of seeing people being led astray by false teachers, by false teaching, false doctrine. The script continues, the text continues, and it says that uh, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So there's false teachers who literally, they're, they're like these insincere liars. They're like hypocrites where they, they have no more conscience anymore. And I tell you, I get so frustrated, and maybe you have too, where you can get so angry when you see people or see leaders try to lead people astray. Or they take the truth of Jesus and they pollute it by adding things to the gospel of Jesus. Or they dilute it by diminishing the power of Jesus. These types of leaders and teachers are phony. They're literal fake disciples. And the word in the Greek language here for seared is this idea to uh, cauterize the flesh. Like when you brand an animal, that, that, that flesh of the animal becomes numb when you can't even feel it anymore. That, that, that flesh becomes dead. And what, that's what happens in a sense, that these false teachers uh, begin to believe their own lies. Uh, in the same way, they, their, their conscience grows numb and they can't even feel it anymore. Where after a while, they just have justified it so long that it just becomes real. It becomes reality for them. And so I just want to pause and ask ourselves this question and, and, and kind of have this question throughout the rest of this talk is, is there any area where my conscience has gone numb? Is there any area in your life where maybe you've just continued to do that thing over and over and over again that now you've just, it's become acceptable for you? Like maybe it's the way that you speak and the words that you use, or maybe it's the things that you allow yourself to watch or listen to, or the things that you partake in, or, or how you manage your business, or, or how you handle your money. And it's just gone on and on and on for so long that you've now just become numb to it. Be real today. Ask God, ask his spirit to say, bring it to the surface. Is there any area in my life where I've just ignored the conscience so much that now it's become numb. Then it goes on to share some of the false teachings that these false teachers were putting and polluting into the church of Ephesus. It says this in verse 3, who forbid marriage, so they're saying like no to marriage, and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Side note, 
Uh, this portion of scripture is often used to give permission for gluttony, that you can just eat whatever, whenever, whenever you want. Or this is used to give permission that I can drink as much alcohol as I want. Or it gives permission that I can take drugs as long as it comes from the earth, then it's fair game. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. We as humans have taken things from God's earth and have distorted them for our own evil purposes as humans. God has called us. If you want to just like ramp it up, God has called us as Jesus followers to model self-control and sober-mindedness. But what this text was specifically informing us was this push of, of legalistic Judaism on the church, specifically when it came to food and marriage. So then it continues in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, reminding the importance of teaching the truth, but also teaching the false doctrines as well, so people know. Then it continues. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So what do we see here? We see Paul shifting his language to an athletic approach, bringing up the idea of how a Roman athlete back then, a Roman athlete knew that they had to have discipline to eat certain foods and exercise in a certain way and take it very seriously if they were going to be a great Roman athlete. And so what is he doing? He's using this as a symbol, as an analogy for us as Jesus followers to not just take our uh, physical uh, um, athletics or our physical condition seriously, but to take our spiritual condition seriously. To say, if you're going to put effort into your physical, make sure you're putting effort into your spiritual. And I think about like myself, I go on these tangents where it's like, I know I got I to gotta work out and I'll start running well or I'll start doing some CrossFit. And then I do really good for a season. I have it all planned out, my meals and everything. And then I just fall off the deep end. And then after I fall off the deep end, I'll get triggered. And most of the time it's the triggering of my pants are getting a little too tight, if you know what I mean. And then it pushes me to shake things up and get back into it. And the same way we have to have that type of strategy and that when we start to, you know, our conscience maybe starts to get numb or we feel like we're starting to drift or, or we feel a little disconnected from God or from community, that should be our signal to shake it up and then to dive into the spiritual disciplines that God calls us to. This week in our staff meeting, I, I just I talked about the seriousness of us having self-discipline and our discipline of spending time with God. And I challenged all the staff and I told them, I asked them all to email me, where is your time and where is your place that you're spending time with God? Because of all the strategy and the things that you have to do in the job, the most important thing is making sure that your self-discipline of spending time with God and hearing from his word is priority. Why? Because it affects everything else that you do. And so I asked them all to, you know, where is your time? Have that rhythm. Have that place. Identify it. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's in your car before work. Maybe it's in that specific room. Maybe it's in your basement. Maybe it's outside somewhere. But identify the place and the time. Make the meeting. Set it on your calendar and show up. And so I asked the same for you. Where do you meet with God? Where is it at? What time is it at? Have you been showing up? Maybe you need to shake it up. Shake it up and change it up, whatever it's got to be. And I, I want to challenge you. We kick off September, 
And I want to challenge you to show up the entire month of September to that place and time. And I also challenge you to tell someone. Let someone know so that they can hold you accountable to it that this is my time and this is my place where I'm going to focus on my spiritual disciplines and moving closer to God. So then it continues in verse 10. For to this end we will toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Paul is reminding Timothy that he must teach and instruct people of the hope of the gospel, but that he also must warn people of the false doctrines. Saying, you got to spend more time on teaching the truth of the gospel, but you have to spend some of the time on false doctrine. So we could do a whole series on false doctrines, and I could have just did this whole message on all the different false doctrines because there's so many, but just for time's sake, we're just going to hit on a couple. So one of the false teachings and doctrines that I wanted to just bring up is this idea of universalism. Universalism equals the idea that all paths lead to the same God, that all religions, no matter what the religion is, all leads to the same higher power. We all just have different names for that higher power. But that, my friends, is a false doctrine. Um, in the religion of Islam, Muhammad does not get you, the prophet Muhammad does not get you to Yahweh, the one true creator God. Muhammad gets you to Allah, and Allah is a false God. Muhammad was a prophet who died. Jesus was a prophet who died. But Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus rose from the dead, and that's the major difference behind it all. And Jesus is the way to get to God. And he made it very, 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 very clear. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And then he says, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way, he says. And this is why Jesus is so offensive to the world because he's so inclusive and he makes it so that there is no other path except through him. I also think about the false teachings of the Mormon faith or of the faith of Jehovah's Witnesses. One of the things that we all have in common between Christianity, Mormons, and Jehovah's Witnesses is that we all believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But where we differ is that we, as Christians, don't just believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that Jesus is God. And Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses have a ton of differences in their religions. But one thing they have in common is that they would agree that they wouldn't agree with the oneness of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They wouldn't believe in that at all. And they also will belittle the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection as uh, it's not sufficient enough for our salvation. So when it comes to talking with others that are in these religions... I just want you to know that it can be very tricky in studying and debating these two false religions. I like how Charles Spurgeon said it like this. Discernment is not just knowing the difference between right and wrong, but it's knowing the difference between right and almost right. And there's just these little things that will happen that will make you think that they believe what you believe, but it's really, really so far off. 
Specifically, when I think of the many conversations I've had with Jehovah's Witnesses that will come knocking on my door, maybe you've had a few of them come knocking out your door, sometimes you're like, well, what should you say? What should you do? I just want to give you a couple things that I try to show them in love and grace and truth, and I want to show you how tricky it can be. So um, in, in the Gospel of John, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word means Jesus. Uh, he gives, he's given the title of the Word. But in John 1.1, the way that the book starts off, here's how it starts off. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Do you notice anything wrong with this? What's wrong with this is this is taken from the Jehovah's Witnesses Bible, where, see, what they added was in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. They added the article A in their Bible to justify their belief that, um, that Jesus wasn't the God, that he was just the Son of God. But in the original Greek, it's not in the, in the, in the Greek manuscripts, there is no article there. It just is this, and the Word was God. And when you open up your Bible, you'll see it there as is. But most people that are knocking on your door aren't Greek scholars, and you're probably not a Greek scholar, and so that's how it can get a little tricky. But you show them that, like, see the difference? And when you show them the difference, it, in my experience, it has helped maybe make them stop and be like, huh, that is interesting. Another thing that you can talk about when it comes to is Jesus truly God, or people didn't really think that he was God back then. That's not what Jesus was meaning when he would talk like that, because they're really Jesus fans, okay? Jehovah's Witnesses are Jesus fans. Another thing I always like to bring up is John 8, 58. Um, there was a group of Jewish people trying to get to the bottom of who Jesus was, and they were so shocked by the things that he was saying all the time, and and, uh, and, and Jesus was proclaiming that he knew Abraham. And they were like, you're greater than Abraham? How do you think that you're greater than Abraham? Or how can you say that you know Abraham? And they literally told him, you're not even 50 years of age yet. Who do you think you are? And then here's what Jesus says. He says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, and then he drops this massive bomb, I am. And this I am is not just saying I am someone. He is claiming right here the great I am, the great title Yahweh that no other person can claim. It would be complete blasphemous if you took on the title of Yahweh and the power of that word was so, so massive. This is the word that, that God proclaimed through the burning bush through to Moses. And so when you tell people that, they're like, well, that's not really what he meant. He wasn't trying to say that he was the great I am at that time. He wasn't trying to claim equality with God. That's not what his intent was, and no one thought that. However, then you continue in verse 59 and say, listen to this. It says, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. It says that they picked up Stones. And what's really important to understand in the context and culture in which this was happening, you were not allowed to publicly stone someone without a trial unless you were caught in the act of adultery or unless you claimed equality with God. And so 
the Jewish people that were hearing Jesus talk, they understood Jesus as saying that he was the great I am, the great Yahweh. And that's why they picked up stones without a trial and publicly tried to stone Jesus. So that's one. Another thing that you can always say is, what if I could show you a portion of Scripture where I could show you how God the Father called God the Son the Father? What if I could show you a verse that, or a passage where God the Father told God the Son that he was God the Father? And then oftentimes they'll be like, how are you going to show me that? Then you turn them to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. God the Father talking, talking about how Jesus was greater than the angels. In the whole context, you can read it, chapter 1. It says, God the Father, it says this, but of the Son, so God the Father is saying, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever. God the Father calling the Son God is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And so another just example of how to talk and have these conversations. Please remember, whenever you're having these conversations uh, with false teaching, we, this, this is some ammo that you can use, but we always use that ammo with grace and with love and with truth, not to be argumentative. For those of you that are listening that have uh, the you know, Islamic beliefs, maybe in your upbringing or you have Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, please know I say all this with great love and respect, but I ask you to consider continually searching for what is true. I ask you, have you done the work? I ask you, don't just believe something because you were raised with something. Discover it for yourself. Then verse 12 tells us this. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Reminding all of you young people out there that are watching to don't allow your youth to be an excuse for your foolishness. You must and can set an example to the world even though your temptation in your youth is strong in your younger years. Fight the current. Fight the riptide, if you will, and live God's way instead of the world's ways. Remember the disciples of Jesus were just a bunch of teenagers accepting the call to help change the world. God is calling you to do the same thing. Then in verse 13 and 14 it says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching, reminding us that what we're doing now, even watching online, coming to the public gathering, getting into a city group as our city groups form, to devote and to not neglect being uh, in community and having the reading and scriptures being taught over you. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Paul is reminding Timothy to not neglect the calling and the seriousness of it, which then reminds me of the seriousness and the responsibility that I have as this job. Uh, no pastor can lead where he has not been led himself. And if you're not moving forward in the Christian faith, then you're moving backwards. There's no standing still in the Christian life and within our disciplines. God must work in us before he can work through us. God must work in us 
before he can work through us. And that's not just for me as a pastor. That's for all of us. And so here's a question. Where might you be drifting backwards instead of forward? Where might you be drifting backwards, thinking you're standing still, but if you're standing still, you're actually moving backwards and you're drifting and you're not even realizing it instead of moving forward? I, you know, I, I said earlier about the concept of daily encounter and needing a shakeup. I challenged my staff to do that because I knew I needed a shakeup. My daily encounter was starting to feel a little mundane through all the summer stuff, and I needed to kind of reset and, and get focused and, and, and have that priority. And, and I, I needed to you know, move forward instead of just stand still or move backwards. Where might you be drifting backwards instead of moving forward? Last couple of verses. It says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Then it says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Coming full circle, when it says, keep a close watch on yourself, it, it reminds me of the story that I started off with, with Julio, the lifeguard. There he is, keeping a close watch on his post, looking out into the water, seeing where people are drifting. He took his job seriously. And then when he saw someone in danger, he ran after, left his post, and, and, and tried to rescue me and rescue others that were in danger and drifting. Reminding us that we have to keep a close watch, not only on ourselves, but on others, and do our job to speak up in love and truth, to say, hey, 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 drift in. Don't go towards the false teaching. Lean in towards the truth of God's word. You know, last thing too is, you know, when I, when I think about the story of, of me surfing, you know, I'm out there surfing, trying to surf and, you know, I'm having a good time. And again, I had no idea I was drifting. I had no idea I needed rescuing. And then again, Julio, gets up, leaves the tower, immerses himself in the water, jumps in, and then drags me back into safety. In the same way, but in a much more grandiose way. Not Julio, but Jesus, Jesus Christ, came, and he literally was he left his lifeguard tower, meaning he left his throne, and then he came down and he immersed himself into the messy earth, to the sinful earth, living a perfect life, demonstrating that he truly was God, and then became the penalty for our sin problem that we've drifted off into. And he became the penalty and he died, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead, showing that he truly was God, making a way to save me and to save you and to rescue us, even if we didn't even realize we were in danger. Did you know that you're in danger? Did you know that you're in danger? All of us are in danger because of our sin problem. We can't clean up our sin problem. Only Jesus can do that. He's the only way. He's the only one who can restore us back to Yahweh, back to the one true God. Have you been drifting? 
Do you need saving that maybe today you didn't even realize you did, but now you're realizing, I don't understand it all, but today I know I've been drifting and I need saving. If that's you today, then I wanna help you be rescued by your savior, King Jesus. So wherever you're watching, you can just bow your head with me. You can close your eyes and you can just say, just say this in your own words. Just say, Father, rescue me. Father, I'm drifting. Father, I'm a sinner. I know it. I've been drifting away, but I need you to save me today. Save me. And then just thank him. Thank him for dying for you. Say, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again for me. And then just say, right now, I grab onto you, Jesus. Take me home. Take me to safety. I make you and receive you, Jesus, as the king of my life. As we continue to pray, if you truly meant that the scriptures are so clear that you will no longer perish in separation forever and apart from God, but now you will have everlasting life. And that life starts now and it lasts forever. Father, we need your help. Help us to be alert. Help us to see where we might be numb when it comes to our conscience and to look more and more like you. We love you and we pray this in the power of your son's name. Amen. Well, listen, if you made a decision to put your faith in Jesus and you were rescued by him, you were saved by him today, then we wanna beg you to not walk alone. You can just text the number on the screen there and one of our team members will get right back with you to celebrate with you and answer any questions that, that you may have. As we close out the service and before you click off, we just wanted to ask you to, to take this time to make it your move and just ask yourself these two questions. Where might you be drifting? And be honest about it. Where might you need to get pulled back into truth? Or how can you help someone you know who is drifting? How can, where can you reach out? How can you reach out to that person this week? And lastly, I didn't put it up here, but lastly, remember, where is your spot? Where is the time to meet with God? Set that time, set that place, and let someone 